Oh God, we ask that you would open your word to our heart and open our hearts and our lives to your word so that we may see you and see you afresh and trust in you and follow you. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. Well, if you've watched the news recently, you're aware of uh, political unrest in France. Uh, I don't watch, uh, follow French politics terribly closely, but uh, apparently it's, uh, it's kind of tumultuous. A uh, couple of weeks in a row of rioting and uh, cars burnt out in the streets. And uh, what makes it all the more surprising is that uh, it calls for the president, his name's Macron, to uh, resign. What makes it all the more surprising, this uh, really uh, energetic uh, protest, is that if you backed up the calendar a year, maybe 13, 14 months, uh, those same streets would be fill, or were filled, probably with many of the same people, but not with protests, with uh, applause. Uh, not with calling for the resignation of the new president, of the president, who was new at that time, but with shouts of accolade and affirmation welcoming, uh, welcoming Macron into the presidency. So he went from uh, political messiah, 70%, uh, I think, 75% approval rating uh, when he was elected and installed, uh, to, I think, 20 uh, that is pretty precipitous decline, uh, just in a year's time. More sobering, or equally uh, sobering, that uh, this same pattern has recurred for the past three years. Again, I, I, I'm not really that entranced with French politics. I just saw uh, this graph, and it was startling that it showed the president before this fellow, his name's Holland, uh, the president before him, a guy named Sarkozy, which I think is a great name, Sarkozy. Uh, so he, uh, both of them were on the same trajectory. Sky high approval ratings, uh, when installed, when, um, and then precipitous decline within a year's time. And just a couple of thoughts as we get into our subject for today. Number one, I feel a little bit sorry for the guy, the president. I mean, it can't all be his fault, can it? I mean, how bad can you mess up within a year's time? The second observation is, is that I think we're all, we, we, we're all hardwired for hope. Like this high approval rating, high expectations is just uh, illustrative of the fact that you and I are hopeful. Right? We, we want something better. We trust in someone to bring something better about. But the precipitous decline suggests that we're really, we toss in our, 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 we put our hopes in a bucket that can't carry them. And, you know, I start with a little bit of a distant illustration, but the same is true for us. One ocean doesn't separate us from them. You and I are the same. Uh, we're, we're hopeful people. At least I hope you are a hopeful person. I don't have any energy or time for pessimism or skepticism, but we, like they, we all have a tendency to put our hopes in the wrong bucket and something or someone that can't carry them. We're no different than they are. When Isaiah was writing his prophecy, this is a wonderful passage. I'd like you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 11, it probably includes many phrases that you're, you're familiar with, a tender shoot uh, from a stump. It's a, 
That's just a beautiful imagery, a great passage. But Isaiah is writing in a time of real uh, political tumult. You know, rioting, people, cars burning in the streets, etc. The nation of Israel is on the decline. Uh, The king is a king named Ahaz, and under Ahaz's rule, uh, the nation of Israel will become a conquered people, and uh, the line of kings will cease to exist. And Ahaz, while he's done his best, his his reign and the nation is really coming to a close. So they're at the nadir of this emotional roller coaster from high hopes to crushing disappointment. They're down there at the crushing disappointment, right? Approval rating around 25%. And as his approval ratings at 25%, Isaiah gives a vision. He gives a, a vision of someone you can trust in, a new king. And we're going to look at that passage because it's a powerful passage. And as we study it, you're going to quickly realize that this new king that, is being, that Isaiah is anticipating, he's not just the 2019 version. In other words, it's not like, well, you had the 18 model. Now here's a 19 model. It's got a little bit of uh, you know, extra bells and whistles. No, this is a whole new ball of wax. That this new guy, this new person is going to be completely dissimilar, completely unlike Uh, and be really uh, capable of carrying your hopes. So we're going to look at it. And we're going to look at what Isaiah says about this coming person that you can trust in. And the nation nation of Israel can trust in, and by implications, you and I can trust in. Someone who can, who, he's the bucket that's big enough to carry your hopes. We're going to learn three things about this person. We're going to learn a little bit about his, uh, his, his identity. Isaiah is going to tell us who he is and who we can expect him to be. We're going to learn a little bit about what he does. I have the passage out for you, uh, in front of you. Uh, who he is is verses 1 through 1 and 2. What he's going to do, verses 3 through 5. Then, uh, what a, final, we're going to look at the, uh, the results of what he does, so the implications of his reign. So who is he? Point number one is going to have three little subpoints if you're a note taker. So it's A, B, C. Who is he? Well, he is from a royal lineage. So uh, he is from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? I'm glad you asked. Jesse is uh, Jesse is the father of King David, and King David of David and Goliath fame. Uh, he really represents the high water mark of all the kings of Israel and the, uh, the nation's prosperity. He was as good as it got, and it was pretty good. Unfortunately, after King, it was a, after King David, it was kind of a progressive decline, and King David was followed by Solomon, who was followed by somewhat on down to that the, this great tree, which had been represented David's rule, is now just kind of a burned out stump. And as I said, by Ahaz's time, that stump is going to be cut off, and that's all it's going to be, just a useless stump, right? It's going to cease to exist for all practical purposes as the nation's conquered, and the kingdom ceases, or the king ceases to exist. So uh, he has royal lineage. Second thing we learn about him, he has an inauspicious beginning, this new king who's coming. He's described as a tender shoot from a burned-out stump. Imagine, if you will, the... Uh, uh, the forest fires in California. Imagine some huge tree uh, that's just been consumed down to the ground. 
Now, envision coming back uh, in a year's time. It's easy to imagine that out of that burned stump, you could find a sign of life, just a tender little shoot. Not very promising. I mean, what would it take to knock that shoot over? You know, one tread of the footfall and that shoot is gone. It's equivalent to the fragility that's so beautifully reflected in, in that uh, Christmas carol, like a, like a rose in the midst of a winter. Just very fragile, very inauspicious. So that's the second thing we learn. Third thing we learn about him is that the Spirit of God is going to be over him in some special way. Now, God's Spirit is present with all of his children in some ways, but apparently this person, this new king, this new king who can carry the, the bucket that can carry your hopes, well, he's going to be endowed with the Spirit of God in some special way. And you can see that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, verse 2. So let me summarize point A, point B, and point C of who is this person. He is someone from the long line of forgotten kings. He will enter the world quietly and auspiciously, like a rose in winter, like a shoot from a stump, whose life will attest to God. That is who he is. Now, what's he going to do? Looked back to our passage. What's this new person going to do? He's going to judge. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. He will judge the poor and he'll judge them rightly, not as the eyes see, not as the ears hear, so he'll judge righteously. And we hear judge as negative, right? Uh, don't judge me, we may want to say. Uh, I think judgment, judgment here is meant positively, like he will judge on behalf of the poor. He will be on the side of the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, the concerns of the weakest will be safe under the office of this king. And this is a very, very common hope of uh, the good kings of Israel, that the concerns of the vulnerable will be safe under their care. And it's not just a hope for the king, it's a hope for God's people, that God's people would have a special ear to be attentive to the poor, to the vulnerable. And it's not just an Old Testament hope, it's very much a New Testament hope. Remember the poor and the vulnerable amongst you. And I just want to camp out on this point just a little bit. Well, how, do you, how does that strike you? This, you would have to be blind to miss that point within the pages of Scripture that God and his people have ought to have their ears open to the cries of the poor. And friends, the poor and the vulnerable come in all forms and shapes uh, today. The poor come in the isolated. Uh, the poor come in the form of the aged. The poor come in the form of the sojourners who are looking for a new home, having fled the violence of their own home. The poor come in the, the unborn. The poor and the vulnerable come in the form of the, uh, those suffering with actual physical poverty. Uh, the poor and the vulnerable are still very much a part of our, our world. And apparently the good kings and you and I are supposed to be attentive. I have just have two thoughts on that matter. One is one of gentle conviction and comfort. And the second is of comfort, first conviction. I just think it is very easy because we're all busy and we all have full-time lives, it's very easy for us to not take heed of the, the vulnerable. 
They don't make a lot of noise and it's easy to drive by. And I feel like as a church, we do a pretty good job. I don't want to, well, I don't want this to sound congratulatory, but I feel like as a church we're doing, we're, 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 we're plugged in. We have an excellent outreach committee that distributes a good portion of our budget to, uh, to those who are vulnerable. We had a very successful Casa Chivilagua race. We raised about $5,000, and all the proceeds will go directly to this organization that serves a vulnerable community. Members of our church began Operation Christmas Hope to provide for a celebration for those who are unable to provide for themselves. This morning we'll hear a report from one of our parishioners who very rightly could take their place amongst the poor and the vulnerable of the world. I just know it's easy to forget. You know, it's easy for us to just kind of to be tuned, tone deaf. And we can't. Because I know that any good church, this is true of that church. And so let's make sure that it's true of this church in 2019. That where ears are open. So that's a gentle conviction. Second is a word of comfort lest we think the poor and the vulnerable are out there. Because I think we all should take our place amongst the poor and the vulnerable to some degree. I mean, obviously we're not materially poor by any stretch of the imagination, but what about vulnerable? In the Washington Post this past week, there was an article about uh, uh, churches closing in DC and there are a bunch of churches closing in Washington, D.C. And every time I see there's many articles that talk about this and what's going to happen to the properties, et cetera, and every time I read an article like this, I have two thoughts in quick succession. Thought number one is, why won't one of those churches give us their property? <laughs> thought number one. Thought number two, I hope I'm not one of those churches one day. Now, that was supposed to be a little bit of humor. <laughs> oh, Glade, that will never happen. You're supposed to say something like that. I don't think I'm a negative person or a Debbie Downer, but I think every once in a while, most of us would think, well, what if? You know, let's take the spiritual side out of it. But what if this thing that I love or this thing that you love, this thing that you, maybe you had a hand in creating, all of a sudden just dries up and goes away? You think you're immune from that? Every pitcher is one pitch away from a new job. Every preacher is one sermon away from a new job. Every, I don't know, what's your job? You're a reporter, you're one story away from a new job. You're, whatever you're doing, you think you're invulnerable? No way. You're one step away. Now, wealth provides a measure of security. There's no doubt about that. But wealth also provides the illusion of security. That we're more secure than we think. And it's just not true. You're one step away from your security just drying up and going away. It happened to Emmanuel Macron, 80% in January, 20% approval in February, in, uh, one year later. And so as I'm driving down the road and I have this occasional thought, maybe once a, once a month, what if? What if it just dried up and went away? 
what would I do? I mean, how transferable are the skills of a pastor to something else? I don't know, what could I do? I think, you know what I would really like? I'd like to know that somebody's with me. And that's why this is a, a comforting passage. That this new king, he promises to be on the side and judge on behalf of the poor, the vulnerable. And by not by any material definition, you and I fit that definition as well. That's the first thing he will do. He will judge. Second thing he will do, he will speak, and he'll speak with authority. It's a great image, and we hear it in Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah has this image of it. He will strike the, uh, uh, the earth with the rod of his mouth. A very vivid image. And what it conveys is that his words will have such authority that it will be like being, it will, his words will have the same impact as being struck by an iron rod. Imagine a, a mom calling to their child as the child careens towards a busy street and the mom says, stop. And she says it with such authority that not only the child stops, but everybody else stops as well. That'll be the same for this person. He will have an un paralleled authority. His words are his weapons. So he'll speak and he will judge. That's what he will do. Now let's see the implications of his reign. Follow along with me. In verse 6, wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion. Those things that are most rapacious, most violent, most deadly will be at perfect ease with those things that are most innocent. There's a striking image, the nurse shall, the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra and the weaned child put his hand on the adder's den. I mean, can't, if you're a parent, can't you feel yourself getting up to run to stop? Don't put your hand in there. I mean, the images of undreamt of security and undreamt of safety, those things that are most deadly, most violent, will be defanged. So undreamt of security and undreamt of um, safety will be the implications of his reign. So who is it? Who is this promised king? This person from a noble lineage an inauspicious beginning, just a tender shoot. This person who is endowed with God's spirit in a special way. This person who is going to judge on behalf of the poor and the meek. This person who will speak with an unparalleled authority, whose reign will bring an undreamt of safety. Well, I imagine you could probably anticipate the answer. But let me read you another story that gives us a hint, that tells us, who this king will be. You probably know this passage. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar that all the world should be registered. And Joseph went from Galilee to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary. And while the time came for her to give birth, and while there, the time came for her to give birth. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. There was no room for him in the inn. Just a tender shoot from an old stump. The same author describes the ministry of Jesus as it began. 
Jesus' first public act. And this is how that same author who wrote those well-known pass that well-known passage, this is how he describes Jesus' first public act of ministry. He says this, Jesus went into a synagogue. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the, cap to the captives and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What would the king do in Isaiah? He would judge on behalf of the poor. He rolled up the scroll, sat down, and all eyes were fixed on him. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled. And all marveled at the authority of his words. Jesus is the tender root from a forgotten stump. He is the king who speaks with unparalleled authority, who judges on behalf of the poor and the meek. And he is the bucket that can sustain your hopes. I want you to look at the last passage, the last verse from this passage from Isaiah. It says this, in that day, the root of Jesse who shall, shall stand as a signal for all people. That's an interesting phrase. Think of how the passage began. Just a little tender shoot, unpromising, but now he will stand as a signal. Other passages say a banner. He will stand as a banner for all nations to see. Jesus himself spoke of his life as a banner. Days before he died, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be lifted up and referred to his own crucifixion. The Son of Man will be lifted up, and when he is, he will draw all men to him. All people will be drawn to this banner. What banner was the banner of the cross? Now the cross is seen by all, and the cross is the definitive sign of his rule. It, the cross is the evidence of his commitment to the poor, to the vulnerable, his commitment to you and me that he loved us to the very end and gave his life so that we might live. And the result of his reign, the result of his reign, friends, are unparalleled safety and unparalleled security. The cobra has lost its fangs and the infant can handle it without fear. We read in the New Testament, O oh, death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? To which we could add in the spirit of this passage, O serpent, where is your bite? Because death has been swallowed in victory. You and I are meant for hope. We're meant to hope in someone. It's just that we have a bad habit of putting our hopes into the wrong bucket. The psalmist writes with just simplicity and clarity. He says, do not trust in chariots. Don't trust in horses. Put your trust in the Lord. And I bet there are many of us who are on that roller coaster, that exhausting roller coaster of high hopes followed by disappointments. Maybe you're feeling especially vulnerable. Maybe your last pitch was a bad one. 
Maybe some of you feel like you're near that adder's den. Or maybe a loved one is as well. I think the message of this passage is simple. Put your trust in the one that Isaiah foretold. I want us to hear that beautiful carol. I didn't grow up with this song, Lo, How Our Rose, Air Blooming, but it has rapidly become my favorite. It is almost like a lullaby, isn't it? You can imagine a mom. And uh, as we listen to this song, I just want you to imagine those areas of where you feel like you're kind of near the adder's den. feeling a little vulnerable, give it to the Lord. And I think the results of that will be, I just read this psalm this morning, and listen to how this psalmist is the shortest psalm in the book. And this is the attitude I hope that we can have as we turn again and trust in the Lord. Psalm 131, here we close. The result of trusting. O Lord, I have calmed and I have quieted my soul like a child safe in its mother's arms. Like a child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore.